It is March 10, 1968, and the Oregon State Penitentiary is burning. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindberg, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. March 22nd, 2013 would have been Oregon Governor Tom McCall's 100th birthday. And we here at Kick-Ass Oregon History are excited to celebrate the legacy of a man who truly helped define the state of Oregon. Many other historical organizations are planning commemorations. But as you have come to expect from Kick-Ass Oregon History, we try to present the story in our own distinctive way. Excuse me. Fucking distinctive way. So, Rather than focus on the same three topics that everyone else is going to tell you about in this Macaulayan orgy, we want to present some dissimilar but true stories that you might not hear over the next few months. The other Tom McCall. Bring something a little different. Spice it up. We're the Cholula in your morning eggs, or the three-way with your girlfriend's BFF you finally convince them to partake in one drunken game night. In our recent Famous Oregon Jailbreaks episode, we detail the 1974 story of Carl Cletus Bowles, a convicted cop killer who fled from justice while enjoying a conjugal visit at a Salem Motel 6. The escape was so daring and had such substantial ramifications that Oregon Governor Tom McCall made a radio plea directly to Bowles that was broadcast on stations throughout the West. As you undoubtedly recall, the governor said, Carl, your escape from the custody of the Oregon State Penitentiary has placed in jeopardy the finest prison superintendent and the most progressive correctional program in the United States. I am urging you to repay Superintendent Cup's many considerate acts and respect the confidence he has shown in you by returning to the Oregon State Penitentiary at once. I personally guarantee your safe passage if you give yourself up. Carl Cletus Bowles was a colossal fuck-up for the McCall administration. Here was a convicted cop killer, supposedly shacking up in a Salem Motel 6, supposedly fucking like a weasel in heat, 
while his corrections officer or his social worker sat in a car in the parking lot reading a paper, a styrofoam cup of black coffee, waiting for Carl to spill his seed and merrily jump back in the car and be escorted to the pen. All in the name of rehabilitation. Can we not all understand why the general public was so pissed? And what a huge embarrassment it must have been for McCall to record that message to Bowles and have it broadcast throughout the West? So, dear ass kicker, how did things get this bad for Tom McCall? Let us take a step back from the Bowles escape in 1974. In the late 1940s, long before he was governor, Tom McCall is a news reporter in Portland, Oregon. But he also had an eye on state politics. He wants to be a leading Republican in the state. He becomes very active with organizations that he himself values. He volunteers for the Urban League, for Easter Seals, but he also becomes very concerned about the treatment of prisoners in Oregon. He became involved with the Oregon Prisons Association, which was a watchdog group that advocated for prisoner rights. Soon, McCall was president of the group. He would investigate claims of prisoner abuses and write detailed reports about them and address the issues on his radio programs. The Oregon Prisoner Association was so influential that their actions led directly to a legislative investigation of the state penitentiary and the canning of the warden. Fast forward to 1951. Tom McCall is Oregon Governor Douglas McKay's administrative assistant and top aide. McCall is McKay's Ed Westerdahl, if you will. At that time, the Oregon prisons were governed by the Board of Control, made up of the governor, the Secretary of State and the Treasurer. Obviously, with his background, McCall was seen as an asset to the board. But they were somewhat wary of his reform-based ideas. But Governor McKay allowed Tom to have his way. These reforms included restrictions on the use of severe punishment for prisoners. There was more job training and education opportunities for prisoners, and they were allowed a governing council to take their issues to the warden. The board allowed these reforms to take place, but they were also aware that they made the state look soft on felons. August 14, 1951. A black prisoner is alleged to have made a minor rule violation. Two prison guards decided to discipline the convict, and one held him down while the other, named Morris Race, beat him severely with a club. This pissed off the prison council, who asked Warden Judge Alexander to fire the guards. He refused to do so. And then, Warden Alexander publicly defended the guards' actions. The council called for a work strike until the two guards were disciplined, and also listed some other grievances, such as the right to take regular showers. Warden Alexander refused to give in to their demands, and had all 1,300 inmates locked into their cells 
and withheld food to any striking prisoner. Sheltering in August 90-degree heat, cramped in those little cells, McCall deeply sympathized with the prisoners and feared a full-scale riot, which would destroy any hope of McCall's so-loved reforms. So, on the seventh day of the strike, McCall walked alone into the prison and asked to meet with the striking committee. As he said at the time, They had eight murderers on this committee. I walked right in by myself with no gun over me. McCall offered the inmates a deal. Give up the strike, give up your demands, and he would make sure McKay reinstated the reforms. The prisoners sneered at this suggestion. They felt they had nothing to gain. But McCall told them that he would still try to have the guards disciplined. Eventually, McCall read his offer over the prison loudspeakers, and the inmates agreed to end the strike. McCall may have done this with only Governor McKay's endorsement and pissed off the rest of the Board of Control, but McCall truly demonstrated how much he cared for prisoners in Oregon and how personal to him this rapport seemed to be. However, in 1968, when McCall is now the governor of Oregon, an event transpires in an Oregon prison that McCall himself considers the biggest tragedy of my career. Oregon House Speaker Monty Montgomery was running against McCall's choice for Secretary of State, Clay Myers. Montgomery's office conducted a series of press leaks about the conditions in Oregon prisons and about the deteriorating health of Warden Clarence Gladden. He brought up issues of contraband and prisoner suicides in an attempt to attack Myers, who was, of course, also a member of the Board of Control. On March 18th, Montgomery wrote a scathing letter to McCall, bringing up some of the controversial issues. The letter was also leaked to the press, who were able to read it before McCall had had the opportunity to do the same. From his deep experience with prisoners, McCall knew that these men poured over the newspapers and that Montgomery's letter would incite them. In a confidential letter he wrote to Montgomery, the governor stated that, I must further warn you that the attack you are making on the prison in an effort to further your personal political ambitions is fraught with danger. Your careless, heedless efforts to build a case will accomplish nothing of a positive nature and indeed are sowing the seeds of riot within the walls. There were issues in the prison. That was certainly the case. But in response to these criticisms, McCall invited a select few reporters to take a Potemkin tour of the penitentiary. And I don't know why he did this. It seems to go against all that he'd stood for on this issue that was deeply, deeply rooted in the man. 
But he did it. He showed the reporters just what he wanted them to see, and it worked, with Oregon newspaper headlines stating that things were A-OK at the prison. Governor Tom McCall, the rising star of the Republican Party, promptly flies out of town to have a secret meeting with Nelson Rockefeller in New York City about his presidential bid against Richard Nixon. Well, remember those incarcerated gentlemen who have plenty of time to pour over the papers? They got pissed. Nelson Rockefeller's Fifth Avenue home, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Surrounded by the Republican Party's intelligentsia, the phone rings. It's for Governor McCall. The Oregon State Penitentiary is in fucking flames. Four buildings within the prison are on fire. The inmates controlled three quarters of the institution. Forty hostages are held by the prisoners, and they are threatening to kill one every 20 minutes unless their comrades in isolation and segregation are released. Prisoners burned nearly to the ground those precious gifts that McCall had fought so hard to bring them. The education building and vocational facilities, the furniture factory, McCall's pride and joy in flames. The Oregonian, perhaps in a reassuring note, broadcast the guards control penitentiaries outside wall. But little faith could be found in such a headline. The reporter noted that this was about the only consolation as nightfall found a chaotic, surreal scene with massive floodlights illuminating the enclosure, revealing guards pacing the walls, reinforced by off-duty Salem policemen and white-helmeted Oregon State Police. save the inside of a burning prison from the outside. The whole idea of the place is not to allow easy exit. Thirteen teachers and 37 student convicts were trapped by a fire on the fourth floor of the education building. Firemen ran a ladder to a classroom window and cut the bars with an acetylene torch. McCall raced to LaGuardia Airport but heavy fog prevented any planes from leaving. He went to Kennedy Airport. Same thing, no flights out. He tried to charter a plane, no luck. He was unable to leave New York as his prison fell to the flames. The governor who had personally ended the 1951 prisoner strike and carried the reform of prisoner rights as a personal crusade was limited to heartfelt appeals to rioting prisoners from his telephone in his New York hotel room. 
McCall himself used a metaphor of incarceration when he described that he was trapped in a New York hotel room while our prison is on fire. I just wanted to do something to get back to Salem and possibly help to restore order and sense inside the prison. Eventually, order was restored. And just in time, too. Most of the hostages were released, and Ed Westerdahl, acting on the governor's behalf, had Oregon State Police snipers ready to begin shooting at prisoners who were near the remaining hostages. The prison leaders broke the strike, and hot food was provided by the Oregon National Guard. When McCall eventually arrived from the East Coast, he went straight to the prison. He surveyed the damage, which a reporter stated looked like a town devastated by war. McCall literally held back tears as he stood in the still-steaming wreckage. Why? He was reported to have asked. Why did they destroy all the things that were of value to them? This is the backstory of Governor Tom McCall calling out to Carl Cletus Bowles on stations across the West. This was the man who bore the flag of prison reform, who reeled from the slap in the face from prisoners in the riots of 1968, who was now being held accountable for Bowles' escape, who would want to be held accountable for the benefits of Bowles' conjugal visit program. The prison reformer McCall is asking Bowles to turn himself in as all the resources of the Oregon Department of Corrections and the Oregon State Police are unable to accomplish this task. I got my finger on the trigger But I don't know who to trust When I look into your eyes There's just devils in dust Does McCall have blood on his hands? Because Carl Cletus Bowles wasn't done killing. No, not just yet. Not by a long shot, to be sure. After the 1974 shootout with the feds, Bowles broke into an elderly Eugene couple's home. He took them hostage and forced them into their car. With his captives, he eluded over 100 officers that were combing the neighborhood. Outside of Eugene, he pulled over into an empty field and ordered the couple out of the car. As Bowles later recounted, I told them I was going to kill them, but it wasn't anything personal, you know. I wanted them to know that I didn't have no hard feelings against them, and I hope they didn't have no hard feelings against me. Hell, I didn't even know them. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I killed them. I told Viola to make her peace with God. And then I shot her in the head. Earl went to pieces, so I shot him in the head. And then I shot both of them in the heart to make certain they were dead. God got on our side. Just trying to survive What if what you do to survive Kills the things you love Fear's a powerful thing 
your heart black you can trust It'll take your God-filled soul Fill it with devils and dust It'll take your God-filled soul And so in the winter of 1974, Tom McCall's proud legacy of prison reform in Oregon was now one of ashes and the cold bodies of Violet and Earl Hunter silently bleeding out in a Eugene field. Got my finger on the trigger And tonight faith just ain't enough And I look inside my heart There's just devils and dust But I got God on my side And I'm just trying to survive What if what you do to survive Kills the things you love Fear's a dangerous thing It'll Turn your heart black you can trust It'll take your God-filled soul Filled with devils and dust It'll take your God-filled soul Filled with devils and dust Thank you for listening, and be on the lookout for future podcasts by our crew. We hope that you agree that this episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Some nights I stay up cashing in my bad luck. Some nights I call it a draw. Some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle. Some nights I wish they'd just fall off. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kent Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more Kick-Ass Oregon History in your life? Learn more at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kate Crispin's Board of Control. 
It's not what you think it is. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. That's alright. I found a martyr in my bed tonight. Stops my bones from wandering. Why? 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 Amazing things they can come from some terrible. orhistory.com